worst possible scenario, it would somehow be insurance against it actually happening. However, instead of insuring against it, it conjured the whole bloody thing into existence, which just goes to show. The end came with surprising suddenness. One minute my marriage was a going concern, even if I was doing strange stuff like drinking my contact lenses. The next minute, it was entirely finito which caught me badly on the hop, as I'd always thought there was a regulation period of crockery-throwing and name-calling before the white flag could be waved. But everything caved in without a single crossword being exchanged, and I simply wasn't prepared for it. God knows I should have been. A few nights previously I'd woken in the darkness for a good worry, something I often did, usually fretting about work and money, you know, the usual, having too much of one and not enough of the other. But recently probably longer than recently, actually, I'd been worrying about me and Garve instead. Would things ever get better? Were they better already and I just wasn't seeing it? Most nights, I didn't come to any conclusions and lapsed back into an unreassured sleep. But this time, I was afflicted with sudden, unwelcome X-ray vision. I could see straight through the padding of the daily routine the private language in the shared past, right into the heart of me and Garve, into all that had happened over the last while. Everything was stripped away, and I had a horrible, too clear thought. We're in big trouble here. It literally made me cold. All the little hairs on my skin lifted, and a chill settled somewhere between my ribs. Terrified, I tried to cheer myself up by having a little fret about the amount of work I'd have to do the following day, but no dice. So then I reminded myself that my parents were getting older and that I'd be the one who'd end up having to take care of them and tried to scare myself with that instead. After a while I went back to sleep, scratched my right arm raw, ground my teeth with gusto, awoke to the familiar sensation of a mouth coated with bits of grit and carried on as normal. I was to remember that we're in big trouble here, when it transpired that we actually were. On the evening in question, we were meant to be going out for dinner with Elaine and Liam, friends of Garve's. And who knows, if Liam's new flat-screen television hadn't fallen off the wall and onto his foot, breaking his big toe in the process, so that I'd gone out instead of going home, maybe Garve and I would never have split up. The irony is, I was praying that Elaine and Liam would cancel. The chances were good. The last three times we were supposed to meet up, it hadn't happened. The first time, Garve and I had bowed out because we were getting our new kitchen table delivered. No, of course, it didn't come. The next time, Elaine, who's some bigwig in pensions, had to drive to Sligo to make a load of people redundant. The new jag arrived just in time. Then the last time I'd managed to come up with some spurious excuse which Garve had agreed with all too readily. This time, it was their call. Not that I didn't like them... Well, actually, I didn't. Like I said, she's a big wig in pensions and he's a stockbroker. They're good-looking, earn tons of money and are unkind to waiters. They're the sort of people who always seem to be getting new cars and going on holiday. Most of Garve's mates were lovely, but Liam was a glaring exception. The problem was that Garve was one of those types who went around seeing the good in people. Most people, anyway. This is a great quality in theory, and I'd no objection to him seeing the good in people I liked myself, but it was a bit of a pain when he persisted with the ones I didn't. Himself and Liam had been friends since junior school, in the days when Liam had been a lot nicer, 
and even though Garve had tried very hard for my sake, he'd been unable to shake his residual affection for him. But even Garve agreed that Elaine was terrifying. She spoke real fast, firing questions from her machine mouth. How's work? When are you getting listed? Her dynamic glamour reduced me to stammering inadequacy, and by the time I'd cobbled together an answer, she'd have lost interest and moved on. But even if I had liked Liam and Elaine, I still wouldn't have wanted to go out on that particular night. Putting on a big, fat, happy head is that much harder if you have an audience. Also, there was a pile of scary manila envelopes to be dealt with at home, plus two soaps eager to tend to my needs and a couch that couldn't do enough for me. Time was too precious to waste an entire evening out enjoying myself. And I was so tired. My work, like most people's, I would imagine, was very demanding. I guess the clue is in the name, work. Otherwise, they might call it flat on your back on a sun lounger.